Welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's episode, I interview Kyle Starks. Kyle is writing a story called Rock Candy Mountain, which is being published by Image Comics and will be available in stores on April 5th. What's it all about? Well, it's a story about hobos. Yes, you heard me right. I said hobos. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Raised my eyebrows, too, when I first read that's what the story was about. But it is not what you think. I talked to Kyle about the research he did behind the book, the story itself, and the central character of the story. Kyle has done his homework, and I think you're going to find our conversation very interesting. The mission of this podcast, besides bringing you great interviews with writers and artists of comic books, is to talk to a wide variety of writers and artists. Some will be pop culture favorites like The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Batman, Superman, The Avengers, Spider-Man. And some will be stories like this that really stand apart from the intellectual properties that have been out there for decades. Creators trying to make their mark with their own ideas and their own creations. That's why I urge you to please subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode. You might be exposed to something new, something that you really enjoy that you might have missed otherwise. And the best part? It's all free. That's right. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, listen through SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. And if you listen to a show or see one coming up that you think a friend might like, pass it along. They'll thank you for it because you're going to expose them to something they might have missed otherwise. Like this interview right now with Kyle Starks about Rock Candy Mountain on Creator Talks. Kyle, welcome to Creator Talks. I'm so to be here. It is fantastic to have you here, and uh, I'm not going to bury the lead. I want to come right out with it. Rock Mountain Candy is your next work. High action comedy rail trip involving a hobo Jackson seeking a mythical paradise. That's it. You, were, you said it better than me. Rock Candy Mountain. Rock, Rock Candy Mountain. That's your only goof. You goofed the title. But everything else was better I, than I said. <laughs> Man, I've done worse. <laughs> yes, I wrote it backwards. It is Rock Candy Mountain. Yes. Yeah, like the song. Just like the song. Yeah. Um, hey, tell me about the book. I know I just gave a real quick, brief yeah, summary man, of it. I feel like your elevator pitch was so good. Uh, it's uh, hobo stuff, man. Hobos doing hobo stuff. Um, I mean, that's like that's like the sort of garbage line right like hobo's fighting is cool <laughs> ultimately it's uh it's it's about one man's journey uh it's a, a kind of a quest story uh that's loaded with sort of some side trips and and uh and physical confrontations and lots of jokes and good action scenes and you know some introspection i'm real proud of it i think it's i think it's going to be i think it's, it's i think it's real good I think it's a lot of fun. When I first saw the solicitation, I was like, okay, oh, wait, oh, homeless people fighting. Oh, oh, no, oh, no. But yeah, it's not, it's hobos. I've heard that there has been some rumblings about like it being like homeless jokes. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not at all. Here's the thing. A hobo is a very, it's a, it's a specific des- like designation. It's an occupation. Hobos are migratory workers, you know, the uh, 1880s to say 19 mid 1970s mm-hmm. workers it was mostly ex-vets like i'm not making jokes that's they're they're hobos they're people who are migratory workers they travel from job to job via the trains not always but as a rule what we what we think of as a hobo there was you know there was a there's concrete hobos and whatnot 
But yeah, I've actually made some rumbling about that. It's like, man, I, I would never, I would never. And also, I don't think there's anything funny about that. There's nothing even a little bit funny. So no, and in the book, they make the jokes. You're not making jokes of them. There's yeah, a, and I there's don't a difference. Think, I, there's, there, I don't think there's any jokes about anyone's quality of life. Certainly, uh, Jackson is a hobo. He's a migratory worker. He's an ex-vet. Uh, Pomona Slim, who becomes sort of sort of the reader's entry into the hobo world, is just going home. He was he was a failed actor in Hollywood, and he just wants to go home. And they sort of team up to help each other out. He's going to get into the pest control business. He's going to unfortunately go back to Kentucky and kill bugs, which is the step backwards, probably from <laughs> wanting to be a Hollywood star. And just to back up, this does take place post-World War II, about, I think it was 1948, when the book opens up. Yep, 1948. And Jackson is a tough-as-nails hobo. He's not what you would think of as the typical hobo. He's the world's toughest hobo, I guess. What else can you tell me about Jackson and his journey to uh, Rock Candy Mountain? Rock Candy Mountain. Well, look, man, it's it's kind of a mystery, right? I can only give so much away. Um, it's Rock Candy Mountain. If you know the song, then you know. If you don't know the song, you should listen to it because it's good. Harry McClintock. It's very good. Um, we have a really nice back matter piece from Dr. Eric Newsom actually about Rock Candy Mountain, the song, and sort of its history, which is really great. Um, Rock Candy Mountain is sort of hobo heaven, so he has some reason for wanting to find utopia uh, in an unusual route. And I'll slowly unfold it, and it's awesome. It'll be worth it. I like Jackson to be sort of the mystery man, you know? I want the story to be, I want the story, the, the, you know, you want the journey to be sort of the center point. It wants, it's, it's the, it's, uh, like, that's the focus. But why, he, like, why he's on this journey is going to slowly unfold. And I think it's interesting. I think it's uh uh, I think it's powerful. I think his reasons for why he's looking for it isn't just sort of Indiana Jones. I want to get the Jade Skull thing. Um, he has he has a real journey he's going on. They both do. Um, just Jackson's is you know a mythical place, and Pomona's is much more personal. Just to back up, you mentioned that Dr. Eric Newsom writes some back matter about the song that was popularized by Harry McClintock, and I think that is so cool that you added to the book. There's been books out lately. Um, Valiant's Britannia, uh, Titan Hammer's Mummy. Uh, they've added back matter to talk about either the movies or the history. It kind of reminds me of the old Gold Key comics that had like a science page in Dr. Soul. And it was Professor Harbinger and there would be some facts about science, little tidbits and nuggets. And laying out that back matter about the song and how it influenced the mythology of Rock Candy Mountain is pretty cool. It really adds a lot more to it. Yeah, I think he did a really great job. Eric Houston's a smart guy. Did, did a good writing job. That, it was important. You know, you'd be surprised how many people don't even know the song, which is amazing to me, because I've always known it. It's in "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." That's where I. Oh, it's in "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." So yeah, it's been everywhere. It's Big Rock Candy Mountain. It's famous. One evening, as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking, and he said, "Boys, I'm not turning." I'm headed for a land that's far away Beside the crystal fountains So come with me, we'll go and see The big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains There's a land that's fair and bright Where the handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night Where the boxcars all are empty And the sun shines every day 
On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees The lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the bleak rock candy mountains So I thought it was really important to, to talk about the song so that people who weren't familiar with the song would sort of get why it's important. And a big part of the story and a big part of your stories is the fight choreography. And for you, that's influenced by the Chinese cinema. It's, it's influenced by everything. Uh, I would say I'm most highly influenced by 80s action movies. Okay. Um, I'm a big action movie guy. Uh, I mean, it's not the uh, most highbrow endeavor, but I love them. I love a good fight sequence. Um, I I always thought when I read when I read comics, and it got to the part where they fought, somehow became sort of the least interesting part of the comic. Um, no, like Jack Kirby stuff. Like Jack Kirby will, will literally have a war in three panels, and those three panels are amazing. But like, man, I want like some fights. I want some fights happening. So I've always sort of prided myself, and also sort of cursed myself to want to do these elaborate fight scenes because I think when you do an action story, they're important. So yeah, jokes and jokes and choreography, I guess are my thing. Yeah. I mean, with your fight scenes, it's more along the lines of show, don't tell, you know, don't allude to it off panel. I mean, really step by step, like a ballet, like a dance show yeah. the fight. Yes. For better or for worse. You said you were a big fan of eighties films. Of course they're fun. I mean, they're not taken seriously. It's not a high round endeavor, but it is fun. Um, and did you follow a lot of the Chinese cinema? I'm not an expert on it. I didn't watch a great deal of it. I saw you know, a few here and there of the uh, Chop Saki films, but are there any favorites of yours? It's tough because I've watched a bunch, and I don't necessarily remember the names of all that I watched now. <laughs> um, like the one that always stands out to me is sort of – so the deal is um, I did a book called Sex Castle, which was from Image that was nominated for an Eisner last year for Best Humor Publication, which was my homage to 80s action movies because I love 80s action movies. And then sort of when I was done with that, um, some John Woo movies, like the early John Woo movie Killer came out, Killers. And it's like, oh, man, I haven't seen it in so long. So I watched it and I loved it so much. So I did a book called Kill Them All, which I just kickstarted and will be republished by Oni this year, which is sort of my homage to early John Woo 90s action films. But while I was watching all those John Woo films, I realized there's a whole there's a whole genre of movies that should appeal to me because there are a lot of fighting. And uh, I really wanted to sort of endeavor it. So I did. I, I didn't get very far. Like, I think of Five Venoms. Like, Five Venoms. Uh, um, um, oh, my God. The 30th, uh, 30th Chamber. I feel, I feel so dumb. Because here's the thing. Like, I watched, I watched all that I could, which you could get via streaming, that were not dubbed. Because the dubbing is wildly offensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Now it's been, honestly, a year and a half because I've been working on the book. But at the time, I started watching all these movies, and I discovered the genre called wuxia, which is sort of these quest movies. To, uh, that's a generalization because they're not all, but everyone always seems to be going from point A to point B. There's a lot of fighting because it's a martial arts film, and there's just a touch of supernatural, just a little bit. It's not like it's, it exists in the world, but it's not a critical part of the world. And I thought, like, there's no American version of this type of story. And that's how I came, that's how I reached this point. I didn't watch a bunch. There's a billion of them. I wish, like, uh, anyone, anyone listening, if someone wants to send me, like, a pile, I'd love it. Um, but I know enough to know that I know nothing about it. Only the, say, half a dozen, dozen I watched. Now, there's one I saw, it's been, oh, years since I've seen it. And I think it was called The Drunken Master. 
Oh yeah, uh, with like Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I was watching like the uh, like the early '70s, like way way back martial arts films. Yeah, that that film was amazing because I think he was like under a train and they were trying to get at him and he was yep. doing all They're these these movements fighting. underneath. Yeah, of a train. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the guy's he's incredible. He's he's more comedic. Uh, definitely comedic compared to Bruce Lee, who took his work you know, very seriously, but he's just as uh, amazing to watch. Yeah, right? I mean, also, like, you can almost grab any movie, any movie, and there you'll, you'll find something that's amazing, which I, I think also is like, like I, as aforementioned by you, I really like the choreography of a fight sequence. And almost any fight movie has at least one good segment in it. Now, you must have seen uh, Kill Bill. Oh, yeah, of course. Kill Bill Part 2. Uh, that kind of summed up the uh, Chinese fight movies and the journey and the revenge, plot for revenge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Were you a fan of Kung Fu also, the David Carradine? The TV show? Yeah. I'll, I'll, skip, I'll skip over on Kung Fu. I know that was – it's tough to sit through. I, I like the, um, the first movie, the premiere. After that, they're pretty much the same thing after that. That's <laughs> yeah, a that's a slow show, too. Yeah, it is. It is. That's a slow, I need more fighting in my fighting, my fighting shows. <laughs> but you mentioned that a lot of those films had a touch of magic in them. Uh, and does not Rock Candy Mountain have just a little bit of that in there, too? Uh, yeah. Based on I, the first couple pages? <laughs> I mean, one, one, they're looking for... I mean, spoilers. It's probably real, right? I mean, it's in the title of the book. Um but yeah, the, it opens with the literal devil who's looking for our protagonist, Jackson. Uh, I got magic in there, I, but not a lot. The, I think the most important thing, again, is this guy getting from point A to point B. What's the word? Like, it's it's the, a series of obstacles. I think that's the most interesting thing is how does this person overcome this thing to get to someplace basically impossible? You're not really spoiling anything there because I think the first few pages have been previewed. They're out there. You know, People yeah. can see those if they want to get a feel for what the book is like. So what you did a lot of research, though, about the hobo culture. Yes. Um, tell me some of the things that would help me have a better appreciation for the book that you learned while you were researching. Oh, man. Well, I, I, the most interesting thing I found, I've already mentioned, which is I think like there's this sort of like Josh Hodgman, 300 names, like stereotype, hobo eating a half-eaten can of beans thing. That's just not a realistic depiction of anything. Um, and I think that was kind of the most interesting thing I learned right away. My, my intention was not to go in and, and, and go that route. Um, I'd actually been reading about hobos before, and there's almost, there's almost no information on hobos. It's, it's like a, it's a real lost community. So I've probably read the majority of sort of anything major published. I just found a book. I'm looking, I thought it was right by me. That was published by like Iowa University Press in like 19. It's like, oh, I just found another one. So I always have my eye out. But is that, you know, this was... The hobos were were like they built America in a lot of ways because they would be the ones who are working orchards. They go from orchard to orchard. They're they're building. They're digging ditches for cities. Um, it's a really sort of fascinating income. And you think they're you know these are people who came back from in this case World War Two, but in World War One was sort of the golden era. If there can be such a thing of hobodom, and the, why it sort of trailed off in the seventies, there's a lot of hobos as a result of uh, post Vietnam. Because people came back from these wars and they weren't embraced. But these are like, you know, heroes. These are heroes who just, this was what they chose to do for whatever reason. Probably not good ones to think that, they, you know, society is hard when you come back. World War II is crazy. The craziest thing, you know. And to try to come back and just work at a grocery store. So, like, hobo, I don't know. That's, I think the most interesting thing is that hobos were these, were workers, were these sort of heroes. And they just didn't want to be tied down. But at the same time... 
They're living literally the most dangerous life. The vagrancy laws in America were dangerous. Um, if you know, you could a body would never be found. Every time you get on a train, it's dangerous. I think it's super fascinating. And even just that, here's these really interesting people, these people who 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 are hero, literal heroes, who can't adjust to society, who find another way to do it, who are living sort of off the grid and free. You know, seeing the countryside, I think about just like the the magical vision of watching those trees go by, going over a canyon, you know? I think mm -hmm. it's so amazing. But at the same time, if you get caught, you're going to either go to jail or you're going to be beaten or worse. There's criminals in every woods. It's like this, it's, I think it's amazing. And, and that's what's part of it. It's like, man, that's what, I, that's the story I want to tell. Uh, but also with a ton of jokes because it's expected from me. That's what I do. I tell jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's when I saw this solicited, it reminded me of a film I saw decades ago. I must have been like eight. My parents took me to the drive in to see this movie, and it involved hobos. And I had to go look up what the name was, and I found it. And sure enough, uh, it was the movie I thought it was. The name of the movie is called Emperor of the North. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, uh, yes, it had Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine. And I was watching this as a kid, and I see Ernest Borgnine follow this guy into one of the rail cars, and he beats him with a hammer. Yeah. He falls under the train and is split in half. And I was like, oh, my God, Mikhail, what are you doing? And I was just horrified because, yeah. I mean, this was this comedic actor. This, I mean, I didn't see Marty or anything at that point in my age. I'd always seen Mikhail's Navy on UHF, and I see Ernest Borgnine beating on this guy with a hammer. Yeah, that uh... – <laughs> That's a, a, a super interesting film. One, because, um, and I sort of reference that bull character because there's sort of a, a bull famous for carrying a hammer and being bad um, later in the series. Um, but Lee Marvin's character is sort of like, quote unquote, the most famous hobo, uh, A number one. And in the book, he has like a, like a young new hobo jumps with him. It's Jack London. Like Jack, Jack London wrote a, a really great one of probably, if not the, I mean, it's kind of the easiest one to get a book on hobos called uh, On the Road, I believe. I know that's Kerouac, but I think it's also the name of the Jack London book. Uh, and I'm mentally ill-prepared for stuff like this today. Uh, but it's really good. And it's usually, um, you can get it for free because it's all out in the world now. No one owns the rights to that book. That is but yeah, so cool. It's Jack London, man. It's Jack London. There's a really great scene, that I, and I, I, I hesitate to say it because, because I kind of want to steal it, but at the beginning of the movie, Lee Marvin, A number one's in a jungle, and sort of some yeggs, which is hobo for criminals, some tough guys, sort of come in to sort of try to shake down him, and he beats the dudes up with a chicken. It's one of my favorite things <laughs> in any movie ever, is Lee Marvin beating three dudes up with a chicken. Also, it could never be done today, because he clearly beat them up with a chicken. Now, did the hobo culture have its own folk art? I am i wouldn't say I'm an expert, but there's definitely like hobo nickels, okay. which was art on coins, which is like adjusted coins for sure, which is, I think, something that's really held over from uh, the history of that culture. Like, I think it's, it, I think collecting hobo nickels, which isn't necessarily always done by hobos, but began, I guess, is still something that goes on today. Like, it's, it's still a collectible market. But yeah, I'm sure they did. I mean, they had their own, they had their own language, they had their own sort of you know stories they told each other it's really hope I, I hope i would like for this book to go on long enough that i can sort of touch on everything 
Um, as it is, you know, I'm trying to squeeze as much in as I can without distracting from the story, which is sort of the most important part. And you mentioned the language too, or is, is some of the language going to be used in this book, some of the terminology? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's in there, you know, it's tough. Um, one of the things when you, when you take on an endeavor like this, which is like, you know, if you were doing carny stuff in like the twenties, right. Is like, that's a whole language. Like kayfabe was a whole language that they use and they use it in wrestling now, but carny, carny was its own language. Like it's crazy language. So if you're going to do a book set in the 20s that was about carnival workers, which your boy Kyle Starks may or may not be interested in, you have to sort of you have to sort of decide like, well, that's really interesting. It's historically relevant, but if you put too much in, like you just throw it in, it's just showing off. And I think I have a bunch of carny language or not carny, I have a bunch of hobo stuff, people saying things. Uh, I'm sure they say yeg in every issue because that's a that was a, a common one. Um, but you don't want to throw too much in, man. Like you, you still want the you still want the dialogue to be clear and not be confusing. And I think in issue two, I sort of do a bit where Pomona is stuck with some some real heavy hobos, and they're doing a lot of of talking in hobo language. And it's you can like that's the joke, you know. It's like here, look, this is how these guys talk. Pomona has no idea what they're saying. Are you going to have additional back matter in future issues? Let's say like a a hobo glossary dictionary. I mean, maybe I know issue two, I have uh, issue two has the hobo code, which is the actual sort of code for living for hobos, which is a real thing decided by the 63rd hobo unions, um, which is pretty cool. And I mean, and that's another thing, like you see that and you're like, I don't know, this, this community just isn't what sort of stereotypically you think they are. Um, like rule number one is like, do no harm. Like that's rule number one of being a hobo is do no harm. Issue three, I have a really great essay by uh, Benito Serrano. Um, back matter is tough, man, because you want to get things that you want things to be interesting, but also like so. Like I mean, there's the there's the um, like the hobo visual language. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they would scratch things. They would scratch things in places so they would know like this is a dangerous town. Oh yes, yes. Um, and like man, like I'm putting them sort of one by one on the back of the issue as they apply towards the story in that issue, which I think is, you know, clever and interesting. And whereas I could do that as a back matter and maybe I will, it's not my intention now because I think that's the type of thing that are really easily found. If you do any hobo read, like that's like the first thing you find is the, the, the various images. Well, I mean, it's cool that you're adding this additional material to the back of the book after the story, because to me, it's like elevating it even to the next level of comics. You know, it's not, you're providing a great entertaining story, but then you're adding a little bit of education in there for things that people might not be aware of. You know, giving you more knowledge about the characters, about the world in there, not so much the characters, but the world that they're set in. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, that's, it, to me, it's like the next stage of comics. I would, I would really, I, I wish, as I said previously, there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of information, and most of the information. There's a book called Beggars of Life that's great, but I think it published in the 20s. You know that dude's dead. The guy who wrote that's dead. I can't try to find his publicist and be like, "Does this guy have anything he wants?" You know, I would love to get this guy to write two pages or whatever. Um, so I'm sort of hard. I'm sort of hard looking with not a lot of luck, trying to find, you know, someone someone who knows more than I do, which I again I don't think is very difficult. I know more than your average. I know probably considerably more than your average person. Um, but it's not like there's a ton of, it's not like, it, it's like World War II was, I, I had to say World War II, I'm studying World War II for issue five because it takes place post-World War II, it's an important part of America at that time. And man, like the breadth of that is so huge. 
I couldn't begin to wrap my head around it. And the, sort of the hobo, the hobo period of 1940s isn't quite the same. But man, I wish I could find somebody. Uh, I would love to. I'd love to find someone who just really knew a lot more about it than I do. Like, I, there's a, an interesting character um, named uh, Robert E. Town, who I have a character in the book who's based upon because he was a real human being. Uh, Robert E. Town was the millionaire hobo. He was super rich. And he rode the rails, and Marin Flimbo, who's the head of the Hobo Mafia, is, is loosely based on that character in, a, in sort of a dark way. Because I think Robert E. Tao, sort of far, you know, far and away, was considered to be a really good guy. But it's like, man, stuff like that, like, like that's super interesting. Why was that guy writing? I don't know. I'd love to know. I want to find the person who can tell me about that. They had their own, like, news publication, which, how do you, how did, okay, sure. But how did you get it? Like, where did you, did, were they in the jungles? Or did you leave a stack? I don't mean it. Like, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I wish, like, I, I wish, I'm, I'm hoping when issue one comes out, I get those emails, you know, like, hey, I know about all the hobos. Like, yes, tell me more about hobos, because I feel like I've, I feel like I've sort of found all I'm going to find. I don't know. It's so interesting to me, and it's just there's such limited information. Hey, let's talk about the rest of the creative team. Chris Schweitzer. Chris Schweitzer is amazing. Chris Schweitzer. I've said this in every interview, and I will say it in every interview. Uh, and he's a good friend of mine. I may be biased, but before I was friends with Chris Schweitzer, he was introduced to me as such, maybe the best living cartoonist in America. I think that's legit. He is unbelievably good. Uh, he did, uh, he did the kids book creeps. He did Krogan adventures, all the Krogan adventure books for Oni, which is historical fiction. So he's sort of, uh, perfect. Uh, he is not a colorist, but he is coloring my book and he's doing, he's making it everything. He's making the book. If I did be fine. But Schweitzer's contributions make the book just – it looks so good. He did such a good job. Uh, I'm super lucky that he was willing to color it. Like, again, it's not – he's not a colorist. Um, he colors his work, but he's not a colorist by trade. He's crazy good. I highly recommend anything by him, including Rock Candy Mountain. Triple, I triple recommend Rock Candy Mountain, but you should also check out his other stuff. <laughs> just to see, like, a master. Just to see someone – who really understands like the art of cartooning. Yeah, no, it's a great pairing. The, the color looks great and the cartooning is great too. I mean, just with the simplicity of line, you know, you're, you're telling a, a great action comedy story and, and you said this is going to be ongoing. I mean, hopefully for quite a while. Yeah, let's hope. Like, we'll see. The comics are hard, man. No, I don't mean they're hard to do, but it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard business right now. Have there been any books about hobos before? I can't think of anything. I mean, if, not if books, is, comics. I yeah. I, if there is, I don't know what they were. And they probably were not. They were probably pretty insulting. Honestly, that's me yeah. speculating. I do know there's several people who've sort of, who have sort of been working on hobo books for a while, and people who have had hobo ideas for books that have just been sitting on. Um, but like I said, man, this it, it came to me in like a like a rush, like a series of dominoes fell, and all the pieces of the story came together, and it was the story I was going to tell next, no matter where it was. And I'm stoked at that image. Image is just the best dudes right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there was. And here's my here's my thing. Here's why I want to press because I think that's just yeah, it's di it's really different, right? I mean, I've been hearing that. I don't know what you think about. I was thinking like, well, here's a, here's a story. Hobos are interesting. Fighting is cool. Like it's comic books. That's what we want. Is sort of the Kyle Starks thing. Is like comics should be fun, and I've made a fun comic. It's not it's not a goofball. It's 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 smart, but it's fun. And isn't that what you want in your comic books? Don't you want to have a fun time when you get. I don't know. That's what I think. I think they should be, and that's what I'm making. I'm making comics that are fun. No, absolutely. Yeah, and Image is a great home for it because they have a lot of variety. And uh, what's your comedic influence? You know, it's funny. Like, if, if like, hey, who influenced you in comics? I could list some dudes. 
who influenced you in action movies? It would be stars, but I could I could make a list. Comedy's tough, you know. I when I do when I so I was nominated for an Eisner. I feel like I can speak with some sort of authority on humor. I'm writing Rick and Morty for Oni, which you know that's a hilarious TV show. I have to be some degree of funny to to sort of weigh up to that. I think for me, sort of. The way to do comedy, especially something in comics where comedy isn't ever a prized, it's not what people specifically seek out. It's like, man, I wish I could find a funny comic because I think it's, I think the list of those are few and far between. Um, but for me, I think it's to have as many different sort of types of funny. Like you want to have something that's, that's very thoughtful that maybe is going to fly over a lot of heads, but at the same time, you definitely want to get some fart jokes in there. <laughs> you want to, want to sort of cover the breadth of all of them. So I don't know, man, like to pick one thing, like I feel like I would say really like I, uh, Woody Allen, Seinfeld, uh, the Marx brothers. I love the Marx. There's, I mean, a lot of the, you know, sort of black and white, like I was, I watched a ton of that. Any, you know, I watch, I watch a ton of TV. I watch a ton of movies, not as much, now, which is why I feel like my stuff maybe feels a little bit different because maybe if I was really entrenched in pop culture in the last five, six years, instead of having children, which is what I did, maybe my stuff would feel more like it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel fresh. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. But I think it's a lot of it because like my stuff is like, I watched a ton of Marx Brothers movies. I watched a ton of Woody Allen movies. Those are two vastly different types of comedy. Um, like I, but I think, I think for this, you know, it's funny. It's comedy's pacing. Like it's, it's pacing, but you also make the decisions. Like I think it's okay to put something really dumb in there, to sort of balance out something that I think is is really clever. Um, and dialogue is funny. I do a lot of dialogue stuff. So you know, anyone who does dialogue stuff, I'm a big fan of. It's it's difficult because I just I try it with comedy. I think it's 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 um, comedy's like doing magic tricks. Does that make sense? Like you're more interested in the tricks than who's doing them. Like I don't seek out stand-up guys, though I like stand-up fine. But otherwise, like you want to get the tricks, you want to you want to see what kind of tricks they're doing, and just like the choreography of those action movies, like that's the part that really interests me, is is less who's doing it and what they're doing and why it works. And I try to adapt that into a 24-page comic. All these pacing things, all these things based based on minute-to-minute -minute jokes or minute-to-minute -minute fights. So you're also working on Rick and Morty for Oni, you said. Yeah, and um, you mentioned Sex Castle, and that's what you were. You received your Oscar. Uh, Oscar. <laughs> no, well, that's what I say. It's the Oscar of comics. It's that's the Oscar of comics. I was nominated for best comedy film in comics. <laughs> you were nominated for an Eisner. Tell us about Sex Castle. That's an '80s action type of uh, comic. Yeah, Sex Castle was my homage to '80s action movies. Um, I was watching Roadhouse. I love Roadhouse. I think it's a. I think it's a, one of my favorite films of all time. I was going to call it a classic, but I feel like. Someone would be like, no, sir, how dare you? Uh, but I was watching Roadhouse, and I thought, why aren't there more things tonally similar to Roadhouse? Sort of the same, like, why aren't there more hobo books? It's sort of the same sort of thing over and over. Like, I, if, if I find something I like, I, I feel like if there's not more, I, well, I'll make it. But while I was doing it, I sort of decided I was doing it a disservice, and what I should actually do is the greatest 80s action movie never made. But I think what makes Sex Hassle so good is, like, yeah, it's funny. It's nonstop fight sequences, but also ultimately it's about parental responsibility and personal decisions. Like there's a real, they say it's not just goofball stuff, man. There's, there's, there's gotta be hard underneath it. Otherwise it feels shallow. Even like a good, you're like, ha that's funny. But with, with no meaning, like 
that stuff gets old. There's no longevity to it. Do you have time to read comics yourself, working on the comics that you do? Uh, not as much as I'd like. Also, comics are expensive. Yes, they are. But yeah, you know, there's there's a few things. Uh, I really like the Swedish uh, cartoonist Jason. I go out of my way for him. Um, I get a lot of Oni stuff because I'm working for Rick and Morty, which thankfully includes John Allison's Bad Machinery, which I think is one of the best things out there, period. Um, Southern Bastards, Sex Criminal, Saga, right? Everyone reads those. Uh, because they are very, very good. Uh, I wish I could read them all. I really wish like the, just the world was opened up to me and I could read whatever I wanted to whenever I wanted to. Uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, my friend Eric Henderson does, so I love that. Uh, there's, I mean, there's just so much out there. It's tough. It's tough. I wish I did. I wish I had more time. But I seek out. There are certain things I seek out because because I know they're good. And. Excluding Rock Candy Mountain, do you have a dream project? Something you really have been itching to work on for a long time? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I don't. I have. I, I have other stories that I want to get to, but they're they're sort of so sort of ethereal um, that they're like like they're. I have the beginning, middles, and ends, and what they would be basically. But sort of whatever book. And this isn't. You know, I'm not dodging the question. This is legit. Like. Uh, Whatever I'm doing at the moment is 100% the book that I wanted. It's like that's that's the book I've been thinking. That's the book that I've been been building for. I would love to do a kids book while my kids are still young, though I I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I I would have loved to have done Great Lakes Avengers for Marvel, honestly, if I had to be picking. Uh, there's a point where I would have loved to have done a D-Man series for Marvel, but you know, like after Sex Castle, I was going to do a different book. I was going to do a book that I'll probably be doing next, hopefully. Um, and it just, I got sidetracked because this, because I watched some John Woo movies. It's like, no, I got to get this John Woo thing. I got to do this night. I got to do this, kill them all. I have to do it right now. And that was the movie. It's like, I have to get this movie done. And, you know, I'm, I'm 40. I'm not young. I started doing comics basically five years ago. And I have two kids. And I'm sort of always thinking, well, you never know. You know, I mean, Bill Paxton just died at 60, right? My, so it's like what I'm doing at that time needs to sort of be like my dream book. So I would say, yeah, I'd say right now, like I put as much time as I put into Rock Candy Mountain, sort of living it in my head. Like it's 100% my dream book right now. Um, I don't think I have like, I don't think I have like, oh man, I always want to do Spider-Man or I always wanted to do Martian Manhunter, you know? Martian Manhunter, by the way, GC, if you're listening, it would be <laughs> a very weird, it would be a very, uh, it'd be different than the other ones probably. My throw them off a little well the environment is right for it they're allowing writers to really uh, to break the characters and do some new things so you know especially with the older properties that's been done over and over again it's time for something fresh so they're letting artists and writers take a lot more uh, risks with some of these characters now yeah for sure i think i think fraction started that with hawkeye right like, oh we yeah can have, we can have a character driven story uh unbeatable squirrel girl how are they, like those books are so good and they're good because because the people, one, the people doing them are clearly super good. Uh, I mean, that's the truth. There's very few of those efforts that that didn't pan out, and they didn't pan out because, I mean, those guys are so good. Is I would love to. I would love to do something like that. I would love to sort of be able to play in that sandbox. Um, and who knows, right? We're, we're we're efforting it. I need that. I need that sweet, sweet. I need that sweet, sweet Marvel uh, rub. <laughs> I, wanted, I I thought I was going to get. The, I thought I was going to get the sweet, sweet hobo rub, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. Which is which is maybe unfortunate because I think it's a good book. I think, I think in the end, I think 
you know, two trades in, I think people are going to go. And I hope I'm hoping as soon as issue one hits because, um, I think word of mouth is going to be really good on the back, but but it will need word of mouth. And so I would endeavor anyone listening, just hey, maybe read it, read it on the shelves. I think you'll really like it. And uh, that's the kind of stories I tell, man. If you like that, you'll like Sex Castle. If you like Sex Castle, you'll like Kill Them All. If you like that, you'll like my work on Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty is basically Kyle Stark's jokes but with science instead of punching, i.e. a little bit harder than Kyle Stark's stuff. Harder <laughs> to write. I got to I gotta think harder. Um, but, you know, like like I said, man, I'm, I'm telling fun stories, and I think there's a market for that in comics. I think comics needs it right now. And I'm not saying I'm the hero of the comic by any chance, but, man, wouldn't it be great if comics were fun? You've got your $4 back, and it wasn't just – Something happened, you know? Something happened in there with a cape. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. It's nice to have a book that uh, you can read and get a good laugh out of. It's nice to be able to laugh out loud when you read something. It's it's different from the other comics that might be more action-oriented. That's strictly, you know, not a – there's no comedic tones to it at all. It's just an action comic book. But to have this one, which has that balance of both, is really cool. And it's it's got its own little niche in the market. So um, that's coming out April 5th. Please. Yes? So there's plenty of time Please, for people to – store and buy it. If they don't yeah. have it reorder it I, I i sincerely think anyone who reads is going to like it and i think it's tough for people to try new things um but you know like rick and morty is adult swim that's pretty legit they think i'm legit images let me do this crazy hobo book like it's legit i'm legit i'm making good comic book stories for for you for you comic book consumers whom i love with all my heart with my precious heart <laughs> Oh, hey, you mentioned Cartoon Network. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I did DVR it. Have you seen the new Samurai Jack? Since I haven't yet. I haven't I, yet. My I've, wife loves it. I have, I've, seen like, I've seen like a series of stills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, I haven't yet. I want to. Did you see the original seasons, the first, like I think, two or three? Yeah. My wife, every now and then my wife likes to put on the jump episode. Like It's just like we need to sort of have a palate cleanser of joy. We put on the <laughs> jump episode. Uh, that was, man, Jindy Tartofsky at that time was like throwing – 200 mile per hour fastballs like everything he did was gold uh and that's a, i think it's a you know it's interesting for creators you can sort of be like man like you know 95 to 98 that dude was flawless and it's a, it's it's interesting to see how careers sort of go that way and i think jenny tartofsky is a genius i'm sure i'm sure he's still i mean he's doing the series right i mean surely he is yeah. it's his um but man like right at that beginning everything he, literally everything he did was unbelievable so I'm stoked about it. I, I, I thought they were doing it one at a time. But I didn't think they were rolling it out, right? They're doing it one at a time. I, I think so. Yeah, we'll probably binge that. We'll, I'm sure we're going to binge it when it happens. Yeah. I got kids too, man. I should put my kids on it. But uh, it's the same thing. Like, uh, no, Daddy wants to watch that a little bit. You have to wait. <laughs> you have to wait till Daddy gets yet another issue done and he has like, you know, a day and a half to watch cartoons. Yeah, I hear it. Man, Samurai's been around a long time. I got a, uh, I remember when it first came out, I got a promotional cd about it a cd <laughs> yeah no for sure it was the mid 90s for yeah, sure right yeah lots, I, of, lots of aol cds in the mail yes oh geez yes <laughs> have you had a chance probably not because you're so busy to see uh, iron fist yet since it dropped on netflix i haven't man but i haven't heard anything good about it so i'm not in any hurry yeah i saw the uh not so great press i've seen the first episode that's all i got man, to I'm so gonna, far i'm gonna tell you i'm on the team like that dude with that that dude and i unpopular opinions and I, that dude's not the right guy for that movie it's like he's out the gate not the right guy and just little things like that like casting decisions like that make you think man these dudes don't really know what they're like it's either they know what they're doing better than i do or they don't know what they're doing and by all accounts it sounds like they don't I've heard there's other sort of like subtle, semi-subtle or maybe accidental racist things in there 
That makes me not super stoked to watch Ooh, it. No, I have. I've only seen one episode, and you know, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm just going to keep an open yeah, mind and see the whole thing, because everything's based on the first six episodes. So maybe, maybe it comes around at the end. I hope okay. so. The thing is, like, that's a tough sell, right? Like by the seventh hour, it's really good. It is a tough sell. Yeah. All sort of the consumption of 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 television, especially, has been ruined to me since I became a professional comic book boy, <laughs> because I'm. If I'm at home and I'm always at home, I'm compelled to work. Mm-hmm. And if I'm working, that means something's on, but it's in the background. So it's pretty rare. Like I'm like, well, I have to stop. Every- it has to be. It has to be unbelievably good. So like I kind of don't really pay attention to a lot of things. So it'll eventually make that circuit. If if I don't have a bunch of people yelling, you know, hey, it's so good, it's so good. I'm not in any rush. I'm. I thought. I thought. Uh, I thought. Dare. I, I like Daredevil season one the best so far. Yeah. And- I like that puncture season pretty good. That's a joke and a sort of a backhanded slight to season two of Daredevil. <laughs> I thought Punisher is great in season two, but I wasn't crazy about the other ones. I just I, and I had artwork in Jessica Jones in the background of one of the Jessica Jones scenes. There's artwork. You wow. did? Yeah, in the police scene, I drew a dog in the background. Now I have to go back and look. <laughs> it's, it's super subtle. It's like it's almost out of focus. I think I it, I, I have, I'll send it. I'll send it to you. It's real because uh. Somebody I knew, Alex DeCampi, actually, a comic book writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Very good. Her book. um, Mayday. uh, Yeah, Mayday. What's the book she's doing for Image with the kids on No no Fear? Oh, gosh. No Mercy. No Mercy Mercy. is really, 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 really good. It's Carla Steve McNeil from Finder and her. And they do sort of these kids that starts as like a survival horror in Mexico. It's so good. Um, no, that's another part. Like no one ever talks about Alex Campy, man. Semi-auto magic. That's just a bet. That's like an unbelievably good name for a book. Semi-auto magic. <laughs> but yeah, unless it's like, I, I got sidetracked there. Alex Campy. So good. Anyway. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm not crazy about him. I don't need to go out of my way. Um, I, right now I'm watching Happen Leonard, which I think is really good. Uh, I never heard of it. I think it was on IFC or true TV. It was on a station, you know, one of those stations. Uh, Christina Hendricks is in it, which is a selling point me for me on anything. Um, but it's really good. It's sort of this like post Vietnam rural like crime. It's really good. It's really smart. Um, so like I have I've been watching that, and I'll watch that until I'm done. Iron Fist can wait with its Danny Masterson looking Iron Fist. <laughs> With the Zach Seventy show, Iron Fist, I'm okay. Yeah, that was my only. Uh, that was my initial concern. Was that I was like, he doesn't look like a martial artist, and I, I don't mean in terms of race or anything, but just in terms of like build and everything. It's just like anywhere. That's the thing. He doesn't look. He, he doesn't look. He doesn't look like anybody. No one looks like that. Only Danny Masterson in the last thirty years looks like that. Why? It's so curious. It, you know, like, I guess that they're like, hey, the guy who the guy who choreographed the hallway fight scene from Daredevil season one is doing this series. I'd be like, oh, I'm watching it. I'm like, man, I'm all right. I can wait on that. The only thing that struck me in the first episode were the fight scenes. I was like, they're like in slow motion compared to Daredevil. And yeah. in some ways, you know, it's realistic in that, well, it's not always glamorous when there's martial arts move being applied. Yeah, sometimes sure. it's yeah, just, sure. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't have that snap and pop. And where there is some interesting and fantastical moves, they don't look real. Let's see, um, you have to choose one or the other. You have to go one way or the other, I think, with a fight scene. Yeah. Marvels do a stinker for these endeavors. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'm still going to keep an open mind. I'm probably going to watch more. But I'm not in a hurry to binge. I don't like to the, the binge those series. I, don't yeah, like- I work at home. Everything's a binge. Everything's binged at home. 
Otherwise, I got I got to go. I got to go back to browse and search to find the show after the show. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Line them up, line them up, knock them down. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Well, thanks so much. It's been great talking to you, and um, looking forward to the series. First issue starts April fifth. Folks, go to your comic shop and order it now because they probably underordered. They and, for sure uh, underordered. I'm gonna tell you that right now. You want to be the first one in line to make sure you got one of the few issues they ordered. And if they don't have it, order it. I'm yes. for real. I'm for serious. You're gonna like it. I, I make the I make the good good comics. They're super fun. They're uh, they're just smart enough for you to be impressed. They're awesome fight scenes. Come on, riding the rails in America post World War II. That's good times, man. That's the golden age of America. That's when America became America. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, my dude. And uh, you know we'll catch up again and talk about the uh, series after you know a few issues get out there. The first uh, first arc. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. And that's my interview with Kyle Starks, Rock Candy Mountain. I can't do much better than that. What more can I say? It'll be out on April 5th, published by Image Comics, available at comic shops everywhere, but contact your LCS and make sure they have a copy ready for you. Place your orders, folks. You know, we talked a bit about the Netflix series Iron Fist, and I'm still working my way through that. Three episodes. As I said, I don't binge these, uh... But my hat goes off to those weekend warriors who are plowing through all the episodes and writing reviews. I will read the reviews after I've watched all the episodes. I'm not going to spoil anything for myself. I have a lot more interviews coming up and I fell a little behind on writing a blog a week. Uh, but I'll be getting back to that soon. I just have a lot of interviews coming up in the forthcoming days. Who's coming up? Well, you can find out on Facebook and Twitter by following me at Creator Talks Pod, that's at Creator Talks Pod, or you can visit my website, creatortalks.com, that's creatortalks.com. There I will post blogs, notes about the show, and more. And as I said at the beginning of the show, the best way to make sure that you do not miss an episode is to subscribe because it is free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or use your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I will be back soon with another great interview. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.